ultimately, I'm going to keep saying this podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Better get your teams together get with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. With that, this is 1% Better, and it is here, the regular season. Today's Thursday as we're recording this. There's a game tonight, like actual football game that counts in the standings, Zach. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how to how to deal with this. I don't know how to contain my excitement because I'm so tired of the offseason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that didn't go where people thought it was going to go, right? Like, I'm excited about football, but, like, I'm so sick of the offseason. So, like... So, right. I mean, you share that with me, I assume. Do you uh, you ever get this way? I feel like the last couple of years, like we get to week one and it's like there's nothing left for them to say. There's nothing left for us to ask. Let's just watch them play a game. Yeah. Like, let's just go. Like, I'm ready to get to Sunday. I don't even want to cover Thursday and Friday practice, yeah. but we will. Um, the Carson Wentz is going to play, which is pretty remarkable because five weeks ago he had foot surgery. And this was the very, very, very best case scenario on that timeline. But a lot has happened since. Um, it's been a wild offseason team uh, for this team, and it just feels like, let's go. Like, let's just go see what this team's made of. I agree. It it, it does. Look, they have some issues, and, and I don't know what they're going to look like. But you did make a good point there about Carson Wentz. I mean, and really just the first couple weeks of training camp. I mean, it was a complete shit show. Okay, let's just it put was, it out there. It was insane, right? <laughs> I have never, and I've been doing this a long time. I have never had just a a sequence of events the way they had, and not all of them were huge. It was just more the number of them. It was just every day, just this, this constant fire hose of catastrophes. <laughs> you know, it's like now who's hurt? Now who's on the COVID list? Now what? I mean, it just was one thing after another, and then you had these two young quarterbacks who. Clearly needed some seasoning, and it just looked like this season had the potential, I think, to to really get off to a really wretched start. It still could, but I think I like their chances better now, right? I mean, they got their guys for the most part. T.Y. Hilton's out, but but they they look like a football team. They kind of look like an actual football team, and I give them a, I give them a shot here in these first five games to actually come out, you know, with. On their on their two feet. Let's put it that way. So let me ask you yeah. this: Here's the question that matters the most, right? What version of Carson Wentz do we see Sunday, <laughs> and then in the next couple of weeks? Because I yeah. think even if he had a, a full training camp and three preseason games or two or whatever he was going to play, I still thought all along he was going to start out a little bit slower. Rivers did last year, and he was in there the whole preseason. And usually, that's what it takes when you're at a new team with a new system. Now, with, what, five full practices under his belt? I mean, Wentz is going to be rusty, right? I think so. I I actually think it's not even just him. I think there's several guys who I – I don't want to say worry about, but I'm apprehensive, a little apprehensive about. And, you know, guys like Quentin Nelson, right, who missed practice again yesterday. I mean, like, I I get that Quentin is this mythic figure. He's like Shrek, right? No one can can hurt him, right? No one can – can even uh, encroach on Quentin Nelson. But, like, you know, practice matters, man. You know, and this is a guy who hasn't missed yeah. a lot of practice. And Quentin will be the first to tell you that. That's right. right. That's right. So I think the same applies with, with Carson Wentz, even more so, cl- clearly, because he's got to deliver the ball to those receivers. He's missing his top guy who 
I think he was really beginning to to build some chemistry with in the little time they shared on the field together with T.Y. Hilton. Now he's out, so he's got to start developing that with others. I think they'll be okay, but I don't think they're going to be in midseason form. I thought that that was definitely the case last year with Phillip Rivers, that the first few games, it took some time to kind of build to what they wanted to be. Uh, I think you know, a lot of people might remember that Chicago game last season, which I think was week four or five. People weren't thrilled about what they saw that day. Uh, but in reality, they were still working toward what they wanted to be. And I thought by the end of the season, their passing game was in a much better place. So I think the same sort of outcome could happen here. And I think we even saw this with Andrew Luck his first year with Frank Reich in the new offense. And Granted, he was coming off a shoulder issue, so that was a factor as well. But the offense we saw at the outset was not the offense we saw at the end of the season. You know, so that could be at play here. And the the unfortunate thing is that <laughs> this is the season opener uh, against a pretty tough Seattle team, and there's a lot of emphasis on this season opener. Yet they're not really the team they want to be yet. But yet here's the game, yeah. right? And I thought it was. I thought it was very telling yesterday that even Frank Reich, of all people, who usually just kind of like acts like everything is flowers and bouquets, <laughs> even he said, you know, our owner kind of wants us to win this game. <laughs> he made a big deal about Jamarse making a big deal about season openers because, damn it, the Colts haven't won one in like a generation. So th- did you catch that? And what were your thoughts on that? Because I thought it was oh, hilarious. Oh, yeah. I mean, Frank has mentioned this going back to like May with us, like – Look, Jim Irsay talks about the opener on the first day of training camp every year. <laughs> and the fact that they haven't won one since 2013, it bothers him. I mean, it's been so long since the Colts won an opener. The day they played, the, the, the last time they won that game, Terrell Pryor was the quarterback for the Raiders. Like, that's how that's far hilarious. back we're talking. It was Andrew Luck's second year, so they haven't won one since 2014. And I thought for sure they were going to get it done last year going into Jacksonville, especially after that first drive. And we know what happened the rest of the day. And we know how much that game cost them down the line. So the expectations for a season opener really couldn't be any higher in terms of what Jim Irsay expects. And, and I think Frank feels that. And I think he knows how much it means to his owner. But just if they, you know, if they win Sunday, that doesn't mean, you know, they're, you know, everything's figured out and no. everything's solved for the season. But it would definitely, and I, this is kind of my question to Frank, it would definitely validate his process over the last month and a half, right? Everything that's been thrown his way. Remember, he wasn't even out there the first week of training camp because of COVID. He lost his defensive coordinator for 10 days, which is a long time in the preseason. Um, The injuries, the quarterback competition, T.Y. going down a couple weeks ago, Carson coming back, then Cohen, you know, going on the COVID list. It's been one curveball after another, which is pretty much par for the course around here. I mean, the last four years. And, um, If they're able to find a way to get a win against a good Seattle team on Sunday, which I'm not sure they will, but if they do, it would be a testament to Frank Reich's steadiness over the last couple months. Yeah, and you know, actually, I I think looking at this matchup, you know, I think this this Seattle team—they're not what they were, okay, a few years ago. Uh, But I do think you know this game being sold out on Sunday, being at home, I think it's one of the Colts' biggest advantages. I really do. You got a West Coast team coming in playing an early game. The the percentages on those types of road trips are really poor for the road teams. No question about that. And you know, those are sort of intangibles that, you know, we can't really put a finger on sometimes, but I think they matter. 
And look, the game's going to be sold out. You're going to have 65,000 people packed into Lucas Oil Stadium, which I kind of forgot what that even looks like. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's going to be awesome to have fans back in stadiums this year. Yeah, watching. I did not. I didn't. I will not take that for granted moving forward. Correct. Watching college games over the weekend was was a reminder of like, oh, it's been a while. <laughs> you know, it's like I forgot what that looks like. You know, and so anyway, I I, I do think that atmosphere is going to matter. You know, Carson, you know, is going to be is going to get a much different reception than he got probably from his last home crowd the last time yeah. he was out. Um, I imagine he probably got booed the last time he was at uh, at home in Philadelphia. And so, you know, I think he has he feels a little bit of renewal as well. Uh, I think this team reacts really positive to to the home crowd. They they generally, um, you know, I have a lot of guys I think who who are really guys who play on emotion, guys like Darius Leonard, who really play off of that emotion, you know, from the crowd. So I, I think that gives them their best shot here. I'm not saying they don't match up in other ways; they do, and we'll get to that. But but I do think that's going to matter here. I kind of like Seattle just because I think the Colts are. They're not quite there yet. They're just not ready. This has just been too tumultuous of an offseason. So I kind of like Seattle in this game, but not by a lot. And I don't think that it going either way doesn't surprise me one iota. So so we'll see. But I do think the, the game being at home does matter. Um, well, we'll get to our particular uh, projections here in a little bit. Let's talk about the matchup, Zach. Um I actually was thinking about this or, or talking about this, actually. So Michael Sean Dugar, who covers the Seahawks for The Athletic, I was on his podcast this week, and that was good because I got a chance to to hear his thoughts on the Seahawks, and we talked about some of this. And one of the things that that he talked about, well, actually, he didn't, but I brought it up, is I, I think the Colts have some advantages and some disadvantages in this game. So I look at the Seahawks, and here comes when – you, when you look at the Seahawks, outside of Russell Wilson – What's the first thing that comes to mind? It's like, oh my God, DK Metcalf. Oh my God. Right. You know, and then there's Tyler Lockett on the other side, who's a fabulous player as well. The Colts, meanwhile, you got Rocky Asin barely holding on to the job at one corner, and you've got Xavier Rhodes missing practice yesterday with a calf injury on the other side. This is not a great situation. Their depth, not very good at that position at all. So <laughs> are you concerned about that? If and if you're not, yeah. why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny because you start the season and my biggest worry was the was the pass rush. And that has been eased by the emergence of Quiddy Pay. And then I also – I kind of like the depth with Banigou and, and Toure and, and, and Muhammad. I don't love the depth at corner and I don't feel good about it going into the season. And I don't know if Xavier Rhodes is playing on Sunday either. And if I'm Russell Wilson, I'm going at Rocky Sin all day, whether it's Metcalf or whoever. Um, talked to Rock a little bit yesterday and he said, you know, one of the things I've struggled with a lot is poise. Latent downs. Mm. I, I tend to panic. I tend to grab. I tend to, you know, get too, um, too much, you know, in into the receiver's grill, and then, you know, then the receiver can push off, and then they, and then that's when big plays happen. But I'm not sold on Rocky Sin entering this season. I'll just be honest. And he had some good days in camp, and he had some bad days. And just the the conversation yesterday, he didn't seem like a guy who was locked. He was, he was completely confident in his own abilities. Um, hmm. Maybe it was just a conversation, but we'll see. But that's everything for a corner, man. Everything for a corner is confidence because you're going to give up big plays. It's the brutal nature of the position. But that's their biggest weakness right now, I think, on this on this defense for sure and possibly the entire team. So we'll see what kind of year Rocky Sin has. But beyond that, we'll see what kind of game he plays on Sunday because this is a big game 
for his career in Indianapolis as well. And um, that's that's the biggest concern I have. And I think the Seahawks know that. I think they're going to try to exploit that. I agree. I mean, it it is what it is. And it will help if they can get some pass rush and, and some containment on Russell Wilson. But, you know, doing that for four quarters is much easier said than done, as we all know. So we'll see. Um, I, I think now what we've got to figure out is, or actually what, I, what I'd like to sort of counter with is what the Colts, I think, their biggest advantage is. And I'll tell you what, I think it's really those two big defensive tackles in the middle of their defense against that Seattle offensive line, which Russell Wilson will tell you, apparently from mm. his offseason comments, he ain't too thrilled with those guys up front anyway. So I think that's their biggest advantage. It's DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart. I'm not going to throw the ends in there, the defensive ends, because I think they have to prove it, right? Those guys, they don't just get the benefit of the doubt. They got to go prove right. it. I mean, Quiddy Pay, he he beat some guys in the preseason. I give him all the credit in the world. It's going to be tougher. There's no question. It's going to get tougher for him, and he's going to see things and tactics that he hasn't seen, as well as the rest of those defensive ends. But I think those two guys in the middle, Buckner and Grover Stewart, I think they have a chance to really eat here. I don't love the Seattle interior offensive line. And I think those guys have an opportunity to, to really, I think, collapse the pocket. And, and that's when you make Russell have to do things. Now, he can certainly be fabulous on the run and 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 getting out of the pocket and doing things. But at the same time, he doesn't want to have to do that all day. <laughs> and and that's at the end of the day, that's not optimum for a quarterback. I mean, he would much rather sit back in the pocket and comfortably deliver the ball. So I think that's the opportunity for the Colts to exploit. Um, I will tell you, I mean, we, we've talked to Buckner um, quite a bit this preseason, and I think the guy is primed for something big. I love his interview yesterday. Uh, you, you had a great question, I thought, you know, in asking him about, you know, Chris Ballard's comments about his his potential for winning defensive player of the year and and Buckner saying hell yeah I want to do that I mean what did you catch can you recap that and what did yeah. you get from that yeah and and for starters he'll be doing it with two good hands this year and this is not yep. not a small deal right so the the backstory is basically Frank the other day Frank Reich mentioned like yeah you know Buckner was was having a great year last year on one leg and one arm and we were like well we knew about the ankle but are we missing something and apparently Buckner had basically broken a bone in his hand, in the middle of his right hand, right before the opener last year, and played through it the entire season and wore a little small cast on his hand the entire year. And if you don't think that's a big deal for a defensive lineman, you're wrong, because it is. And, and Buckner even said it last year. I mean, last, yesterday, like, the, his hands are his weapons. Yeah. And all that hand fighting they do in the trenches, that's huge. I mean, you saw him throw a guy five yards backfield, right, last year. Um <laughs> And so he's got none of that this year. He's got no pain in, in, in the hand. He had the surgery taken care of. That's a big deal. And we know he was playing through a very, very painful high ankle sprain at the end of last year as well. Mm-hmm. So asked him, you know, Chris said you might, you know, be in the warning for defensive player of the year. Do you do you think about that? Do you Does that matter to you? And he said, I think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And he says, I think I can get it done. And with two healthy hands and two healthy ankles, um, Buckner could be a monster this year, even more so than he was last year. And I don't want to discount Grover Stewart because I thought Grover was great in camp and he deserves all the credit he's gotten and the contract he got. But it's not too much of a stretch to say that Buckner was maybe one of the best trades this franchise has ever made. And we're only one year in, right? I 
have no issue with that statement. You whatsoever. don't get players like that for less than two first rounders. You just don't. Jamal Adams was two first rounders. I mean, and you take Buckner over Adams any day. You know, speaking of who they're playing this week, and um, I could go down the list, but you know, that was that was a steal. Oh, I mean, they they would do that trade. I wrote this in my story. They would do that trade 10 times out of 10 if they had a chance to do it again. There's no question. Like, there's no hesitation. In fact, they'd probably give up more, okay? Because that's how good the guy has been. I mean, he is, I think, right. the, the single most impactful player. He has been, I think, the most single, like tongue-tied, single most impactful player on their roster. I know there are people who that would counter what I'm saying here with, oh, well, what about Darius Leonard? And, oh, Quentin Nelson. Those are great players, okay? Fantastic players. I think the difference with Buckner, for me, is just how he just changes the entire complexion of the defense, to me. I mean, I, I just think that what Darius Leonard does is spectacular, but it's also dependent on a lot of other players, too, right? Uh, the, you know, they've got to funnel things his way and so forth. I mean, they, they do certainly... They do things within the framework of the defense to to put him in position to succeed. And he does that like better than anybody. But DeForest Buckner is the guy who has to make it happen. You know, and he yeah. and he is. I mean, he's the guy who is at the point of attack. They're just different positions, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not a slight on Darius. I mean, God knows I would never do that because I'd never hear the end of it. But <laughs> right. But let me just say, I think the the nature of the positions is such that DeForest Buckner can just have so much more impact, and he's so good at that position that it has uh, just a tremendous impact on everything else that happens on defense. And so if Rocky Asin, for example, if he's going to hold his own this year, I think a lot of that's going to trace back to what's happening up front, to be fr- yeah, quite frank. it all works in tandem. Yeah. It all works in tandem. Buckner is a guy that you you don't find in the free agent market ever, whether it's skill set or anything else. It's a guy you are willing to give up a top five pick for if you're drafting that high. And and he has not just on the field, but in talking to Chris and Frank and his teammates, I mean, there's a reason his mural is up on the side of Lucas Oil yep. Stadium. He's only been here for 12 months. He's never played before a packed house at Lucas Oil. Um, absolutely home run. I would love to see him in the defensive player of the year running. It's going to be tough to beat TJ Watt, tough to beat Aaron Donald. Yeah. But Buckner does so many things well. And like you said, it's the point of the attack. And I just go back to what Chris said after the uh, combine that that year was, you know, you guys keep asking me about wide receivers. I'm going to keep talking about D linemen. <laughs> and uh, the three tech drives this thing. And now with Buckner in that role, um, he is driving that defense. And it's made Leonard better. It's made Kenny Moore better. Will it make Rocky Sin better? We'll see on Sunday. But uh, he's going to be a fun guy to watch this season. Yeah, look, they walk the walk when it comes to the trenches. There's no question about that. I, you can never criticize the Colts for for not sticking to their principles, <laughs> whether you like it or I mean, not. He kept he kept eleven defensive linemen <laughs> on final cut day. Exactly. It's like, look, they're all in. Okay, they said it. They did it. What else do you want? You know. So if if you're surprised, then you're a moron. <laughs> you're not paying attention. <laughs> so uh, I I think the Buckner conversation leads me to something related that I think is important that has a bearing on the entire season. So I've, I've been on record many times saying, I feel like this team's depth, I think might be its biggest attribute because I think you over the course of 17 games now, you, you are going to have to tap into that depth, right? I mean, we've already seen what the preseason has wrought for this team. We know that other guys are going to have to play. So that is going to remain true. 
The other thing, however, that I think is also very, very important and needs to be said. If this team is really going to be a factor this year, and by that I mean if they're going to be in the playoffs and a team that's that's contending to actually advance in the postseason, the only way that happens, in my opinion, is if their best players play at a super elite level. Because that's what you have to have. I mean, look at all the Final Four teams every single year, right? You've got a spectacular quarterback or you've got just in you've got really uh huge playmakers on defense who are making things happen it it, it generally goes back to uh, it's a combination of things you know it's never one thing but you will always find just high level individual performances guys who who put a team on their backs and i think this team they have they don't have a ton of those but they have enough that i think they can be the difference this year you know they if Darius Leonard has you know, one of those superhuman seasons. If DeForest Buckner, as we just said, if he does what we think he can do, you know, certainly Quentin Nelson's got to be out there. He's got to be on the field. He's got to be having the kind of season they think he can have. Uh, I, I think Quiddy Pay, for example, Quiddy Pay is a guy who can make, who can put a lot of juice, you know, inject a lot of juice into this defense potentially. You know, I think the, you know who I'm thinking yeah. of. I mean. I don't know if we're talking about him enough right now with this game, especially coming up against Seattle. It's Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. guy could go I was for 1,400 yep. yards this year. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it, you talk about Carson coming back and not having a real preseason and Quentin and, and all these guys and T.Y. being out on offense. Jonathan Taylor, the door is open yeah. to take over, to literally take over this offense. And I think he's going to get – I mean, why would you not give him 25 carries on Sunday? if he Unless he's struggling, which I don't see happening – this is a guy that you can ride for the first part of the season and he could carry you and he can, you know, while Wentz gets his feet wet and Wentz gets settled and gets his, in the rhythm of the offense, which we expect to take a little bit of time, especially against these good teams they're playing, ride Jonathan Taylor until you can't anymore. And then use Naheem Hines as well. But I think, I think Taylor is a guy that could, by the end of the season, we could be talking about one of the top three or four players on this entire roster. I totally agree. And and I think where Carson Wentz is concerned Jonathan Taylor needs to be his best friend, and I think he can be. Uh, there's no question that he is a tone setter. I thought those those practices against the Carolina Panthers, I know that was like a month ago now, and it's, it's a distant memory, but the guy didn't play in the preseason, so it's all I got, <laughs> okay? so And I get it. I, I get that you don't want to put that guy out there. I understand it. But anyhow, I, I really thought you saw in those practices, if you attended those practices as a fan, you would have seen this. I thought you saw in those practices how he can be a tone setter, you know. And so just like Quentin Nelson goes out and pancakes a guy and, you know, gets up and beats his chest and, and the team loves that and responds to it. It's really the same thing when Jonathan Taylor puts his shoulder into a guy's chest and says, not today. You know, I, I mean, he does it repeatedly. We saw it at the end of last season. That that's juice, and that's what Frank Reich talks about. It's cliche, and you know, so is one percent better, and all that. But but there's a lot of truth to it too. I mean, every cliche is based in something. You know, it's not it didn't just come out of the sky. I mean, these things are are based in some reality, and I think where it, where it relates to juice and and those kinds of things with Jonathan Taylor, there's no question that guy has a chance to I think really infuse this team with a lot of energy. And finally, frankly, just make a bunch of plays. I really think he can be a guy that's exactly what I was talking about when I say your best player's got to play at an elite level. He's probably one or two on that list, frankly. So I'm 
I would say this too. You tell me what your thoughts have been. Between he and Naheem Hines, I don't know how the touches are going to go. We, we know Naheem is going to get his. But Marlon Mack, you know, when it comes to just the pure rushing attempts, I think they're going to just ride Jonathan Taylor. I don't think other guys are going to get a ton of rushing attempts here. It doesn't feel like it to me. I don't. What are your yeah, thoughts on that? I'm I'm with you on that. And, and, and this is something we've kind of noticed as camp has developed and we get into the preseason and now the regular season. It was very clear that Naheem was the second running back mm-hmm. and he had sort of passed Marlon Mack. And I didn't really see necessarily the same pop out of Marlon Mack in training camp, the same type of top-end speed that we had seen from him in years mm-hmm. past. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, I thought Naheem had a great camp. And that's, that's a really good point about the Panthers' practices and what JT did. Because Frank came off the field and started talking about it. Michael Pittman came off the field and started talking about it. Naheem came off the field and we're like, that's how JT plays, man. And I thought from the day this camp started, JT had a different look and a different confidence. He sounds different and he looks different. He's playing different. And I think you'd be dumb not to give him the ball 22, 25 times a game um, behind this line or any other line because he's that good. And he'll he'll be good in protection as well. But I think they can use Hines in a lot of different ways and we even, you know, Marcus Brady, the offensive coordinator a couple of weeks ago, was like, you know, this is one of the questions we had when we were going through the film in the offseason was, are we getting Naheem enough touches? And the answer was basically no. Mm-hmm. Every time Naheem has a good game, this team wins. So the right move is finding the right balance with that, right? How much do you give Taylor? How much do you give Hines? And do you spell him for Wilkins and Mack at some point? But um, I think it's pretty clear that the featured back – it's going to be Jonathan Taylor, and they'll sprinkle in Hines, but um, I think I think Taylor's the guy that carries you in the month of September. I think that's very possible, and I I actually have no problem with that. You know, I don't think they're they're not worried about you know overusing him. I don't think they will anyway, just because that's not their nature here to to just you know force feed right. guys. So I don't know that that's a concern, but I also think they're willing to to deviate from their usual workload restrictions if you will not that they have hard and fast restrictions but they they den- they definitely tend to to switch things up and and spread the ball around we know how they do it wide receiver they do that on some level at at running back too they generally have but i, I really think it's a two man job this year it's it's as you said it's Naheem Hines it's Jonathan Taylor and i think the overwhelming number of carries are going to be Jonathan Taylor i think Naheem Hines is going to get a ton of touches i think I bet that more of them are in the passing game, though. I think that's okay, you know, especially with T.Y. Hilton out for now. Um, I, I think there's a role there, and there's there's opportunity for him to to get more integrated in the passing game. And, you know, we'll see. I, I think Marcus Brady seems to to have some thoughts on that, which is good. He's a new offense coordinator. He's going to have more of a voice in the play calling. So we'll see how it goes. It's going to be interesting. When you look at the overall picture, right, the AFC South – and just the league in general, the AFC in general, um, you know, we talked, we've been talking about this just off and on, just you know, among ourselves as reporters. I look at the the top teams in this conference. All right, so obviously the Chiefs are up there, the Bills are up there. Uh, they don't love the Bills' defense, but they've got a, they've they've had enough to get it done. Uh, Cleveland, I think, is the team people don't talk about enough for sure. Yeah, really um, good roster. Yeah, yeah. Good offensive line, quarterback, defense is absolutely uh, got a bunch of playmakers as well. So, and then I think, where are the Colts? Are they in that next 
next group or are they in that group underneath the Chiefs and Bills? I mean, I don't know. Well, how, how do you see it? I guess is my point is what I should say just more directly. What's your assessment of the hierarchy and where are the Colts in that hierarchy? I think they want to be in that second group and I think they need to prove that they belong in that second group. And and, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I wrote, you know, basically this week that I, you know, I set the stage for this season. And, you know, Chris Ballard's been talking about this defense that he's wanted since the day he got here. He's got it. I think they're ready to take that next step on defense. I think he's got just about everything you want. And on offense, Frank put his neck on the line for this quarterback. And this is his guy. And Chris went out and got him. And I think you get probably two years of a grace period after Andrew Luck retires. You know, not that anything was wrong with last year, but mm-hmm. you know, these guys have both done terrific jobs considering everything that's been thrown at this team. But the reality is they need to win in January. And, and Jim Irsay expects it, and he's demanding it. And they have very long contracts now that um, it, it, that, it, that speaks to that expectation. Um, and I was a little surprised at the blowback I got. You know, like, hmm. are fans okay with just losing in the first round of the playoffs? Like, that's not what this team is used to doing, at least under, under Luck and Manning. And, and frankly, where I come down on it is this roster is too damn good not to be contending in the playoffs. And I don't necessarily mean playing in L.A. in February in the Super Bowl. But, you know, talking to four or five of these central players on this team, you know, they're ticked off that they lost some AFC games they shouldn't have lost the last couple of years. I don't need to tell you what games those are. Jacksonville comes to mind last year. They're ticked off that they didn't beat the Bills in a game that they absolutely should have won without that stupid penalty and that stupid fourth down call and that bad kick. Really? I mean, that's those three things, and that's probably a different game. Um, I just think the roster is too good if Wentz plays well to not be playing the second round of the playoffs. And then you just see what happens and you see how the matchups fall and and you see who's the hot team. But um, I think it's time to deliver for Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. And I think both of them would agree. I think they would sort of be on the same page with that. And I know for a fact that Jim Irsay expects that. Well, it'll be interesting. I, I think that when I look at the hierarchy, I, I, I think their talent level is comparable to those teams in that class. And I think the teams in that class – I may miss one or two, but I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, I gave you the two who are at the top, and I think you know that's I think pretty inarguable. Buffalo and Kansas City are the two. I think where everyone's trying to get to that level, and then the teams fighting to get to that level. I think they're they're Cleveland, they're Tennessee. I think the Colts. I think they belong in that conversation for now, and if they can either remain there or <laughs> or they can be dismissed, and that'll be up to them. But I think they're in that conversation for now, you know, and there's probably a couple others. You know, I, I don't know where Pittsburgh is. I don't I think they're going. I feel like they're going the other way. You know, Do you feel like there's a lot of national perception right now that's down on the Colts because of the COVID situation, because of a couple of the injuries? feels it, like they're entering this season a little, a little down. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. I mean, you haven't heard anything good about the Colts in months. <laughs> <laughs> OK, if you're like a, a football fan and you know, Nebraska, right? And you're just, you know, you're just sort of a casual football fan, you know, and you have a a working knowledge of the league. (laughs) What have you heard good about the Colts lately? Nothing. It's always been, this guy's out, that guy's out, this guy's hurt, that guy's hurt. I mean, there's nothing really to, to move you to feel positive about this team, to have a positive feeling about this team. So I get that. And, and I think that's probably appropriate right now, to be completely honest. I mean, 
And and honestly, if they get off to a tough start, that's going to feel like it was appropriate for a lot of people. I don't know that that means that's where their season's going to go. I think they tend to get off to a slow start anyway. But, you know, it, it may be reinforced in some people's minds based on how the, the front end of the season goes. We'll see. Uh, but I do agree with you. I, I think that there is some... I think there's sort of a cool feeling toward this team right now, which is interesting because I, I thought that that was not the case coming into training camp, you know, yeah. but a lot has happened. A lot has happened. And, and I get it. And I, I'm Larry of a slow start too, for all the reasons we've outlined. So, so we'll see. I, I, they have a chance to write their story and ultimately that's how it goes. Right. I mean, the worst team in the league and the best team in the league they all write their story. <laughs> you know, it, it, you have a chance to dictate how it goes. And, you know, you'll be able to to write all those chapters. There's 17 of them starting on Sunday, you know. So we'll see. Um, let's talk about this. Just, just get into uh, – I don't want to, like, make season predictions because I think it's stupid and I just set myself up for, <laughs> for ridicule. <laughs> okay. Right. So we're not going to do that. But um, – what what where are they? I mean, are they are they a team that's? Do you think they're that team that Jim Mersey is talking about? Can they be that team, or or are you? Do you think that's just a pie pie dream right now? I don't think they're that team right now, but I think they could be by December. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of people, sort of you know inside the Colts and then outside the Colts with a different perspective, and I think this team could get to be really good in November and December and be really tough to beat. There's a couple of reasons why a lot of you out there probably figure out, right? Carson's going to take some time to get rolling. I expect that to happen. I think he'll be playing pretty well. I think Frank will have him playing pretty well by week five or six or seven. Fisher settling in at left tackle changes a lot of things on what you can do offensively. And then, you know, we got to figure out the cornerback spot. And I think Quiddy Pay will develop, and he'll be a better player in December than he is right now. Does Dayo come back? Does Dayo give you some punch at pass rush? Hmm. Um, you know, that's a big factor. So I think, and I think Chris thinks this as well. I think his team's going to be pretty solid come November, barring a huge catastrophic injury, right? You got TY coming back in October, like we think. Um, now don't, that don't undercount, don't underscore that as well. I know his production hasn't been the same yeah. the last couple of years, but his presence at practice and his presence on game days absolutely matter. So I think they're going to be a good team by November or December. What the record is, I don't know, because I don't know how the first fives or games are going to go. But I think they're going to be pretty solid. And I think they absolutely can contend in the division. We'll see what Tennessee does. Um, but, you know, you have to give Tennessee the upper hand right now because they went out and they got Julio. And they won the division last year, although they won it on a tiebreaker because the Colts couldn't beat the Jags in week one. So it's going to be fun. I think the Colts get better as the season goes on. That's what Ballard wants. I think the fact that they have one of the better defensive and offensive line combinations in the league is going to matter this year because you've got 17 games, and that's usually what wins in those late December games, right, when you've got something yep. on the line. I mean, last year they barely scraped by the Jags until Taylor busted open that big run in Week 17. So, you know, it's going to come down to one or two plays in those big games late. But, you know, they got the Bucks coming into Lucas Oil. That's going to be fun. They've got some big games late in the season. But I think it's going to be a little bit like – 2018 where they start slow and then they come into their own midseason and then they get hot late and then we'll just see where that leaves them yeah i think this season is going to to tell us i think more about this team than 
than even like last year. And last year they they yeah you know, I thought they were adequate. They were I thought they they met expectations last year. I, I really think they did. Just given everything uh, that we knew about this team going in, you know, the thirty eight year old quarterback, how was that going to go? I mean, I thought they met expectations, and if anything, they surpassed them. I didn't expect them to be in this freaking Super Bowl. I thought they did what I about what I expected. I, I thought the only thing they could have done differently was win the division. And I thought that was the one disappointment. Other right. than that, okay, whatever. They didn't beat Buffalo on the road in the playoffs. I am not going to kill them over that. Could they have won the game? Absolutely. Should they have won the game? Maybe. Yeah. But whatever. Now, the difference here is I think you have you have some young players now who who have demonstrated they're ready, like Jonathan Taylor, for example. They're now no longer rookies or young they're they're now at least a year older if they weren't rookies last year. So you have young ascending players. You have the quarterback that you want for the long term. Okay. This is not a one year experiment. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is supposed to be the guy. Okay. Now for better or worse, we'll see. But but that's the plan here. I mean, this is not a Band-Aid. It's not intended to be a Band-Aid. Carson Wentz is supposed to be the guy. This is Frank Reich's guy. He's 28. You, you know, you handpicked him. You've coached him before to great success. So I think that plus all the other variables, those other guys growing up and, and they're on the come, all those young guys. I think this is a team that I think the, the expectations need to be raised a little bit. Yeah. And so I think it's totally fair. I don't, you know, I don't write the checks, so it ain't up to me to make the evaluation necessarily. But, but I think that the the expectations should be raised, and so I'm I'm glad that they are because I think it's time. Uh, I don't know that it's not a it's not a winner bust type of deal. These guys just got new contract extensions, right, Ballard and Reich. So that's not what this is about. It's more about making good on the progress they have made, taking that next step. But otherwise. You're just kind of on a treadmill. They need, it's it, they got to take a step. I do agree with that. So we'll see, uh, and, and that's why it's fun because you know it, it's gonna re- whatever they're gonna be is gonna reveal itself. Um, I'm now, excited for this season, as pumped as I've been in years, and and I think there's mm-hmm. a couple of reasons why. One, fans are back in the stadiums. It's gonna have a different feel. Two, we don't know how Carson Wentz is gonna look. That's gonna be exciting to see how that plays out. And three, like you said. I think you always want to start the season with the idea that it could be something special, right? It could be, by the end, a really cool story to write. And I think this could be. And I'm not saying it's going to end in LA because that's probably a little bit of a long shot. But this this team could do some special things. And it's not going to be easy and it's probably not going to start off great. But I think the possibility is exciting. I agree. I think that's going to be the fun of it. if nothing else, I think this is a team that's going to be fun to watch. I think this offense can be potentially very productive. I think the defense has some playmakers who I think are going to be fun to watch. You already know who they are. And and I think we can throw Quiddy Pay into that group potentially. We'll see. I don't want to put too much pressure on the kid, but I really like him. So I think this is going to be, if nothing else, a fun team to watch. And I think this first matchup to start the season you know, I don't think there's going to be a light up the scoreboard kind of game. I think this might be sort of a rough and tumble, you know, run the run the game, run the ball, pound the ball kind of game. But uh, but I do think this is going to be a fun team to watch uh, for a number of reasons, and I think they just got a lot of talent. So I'm interested to see how it all plays out. So uh, do you want to make a prediction for Sunday? Or- well, I just made one on the air with KB and Wells, so uh, <laughs> I can't hide from it now. And I'm going against the grain. I'm picking them to win. 
I don't really have a good reason. I just have a feeling that after this wild preseason that everything's gone wrong, it's going to change on Sunday. And I'm not predicting they go four and one to start the year or anything like that. But I don't think I'm that scared with Seattle's defense. And I think with Jonathan Taylor getting a heavy load and they can maybe do some max protects with Carson Wentz and take some D shots, maybe to Michael Strong, but probably to Michael Pittman or, or Paris Campbell. I just feel like the Colts are going to win this game. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me how. I just have a feeling they're going to win. All right, you heard it here, folks. Heard, heard it here first. Uh, listen, you don't need a you don't need a good reason. You only go to every practice and every press conference and watch every game. So I mean, it's not like you know you're informed or anything. So <laughs> no, no, nobody knows. I mean, it's just like watching college football this weekend. It's like we have preseason rankings. Like why? For what? <laughs> what do they even mean? Right? I mean, I know we do it and have for a hundred years, but stupid. Let's be honest. So it's the same thing in the NFL. There will be there will be unbelievable overreactions on Monday. There are always overreactions on every Monday. But this Monday is going to be epic, okay? Because it is every year. People overreact and they talk about the 300-yard game from quarterback X, who's terrible, and then he never does it again all season long. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's going to be funny and just... Be used to that. Just be ready for that, I should say. Uh, I will say, look, I'm, I'm leaning Seattle close. And, you know, it's kind of like you. I don't know that I have a great basis for this. I think really it just boils down to I, I think the Colts are going to have to shake off some cobwebs. And I don't think you can do that against good competition. So we'll see. But, but I also, as I already outlined, they have some advantages in this game too. I, I think they have some things going for them. Like... I like their offensive line in this game. I mean, I think they have they have the opportunity to be successful in this game. I don't love Seattle's defensive front. And so that's a, an area where they can have some success. I love their interior defensive line against Seattle, so I think they have some advantages there. But I think the if this does come down to a, a situation where the, a quarterback has to win you the game, you know who I'm taking. <laughs> I'm taking Russell Wilson. So anyway, we'll see. Um, I would love to be wrong because I think, you know, it'd be a great story after the preseason they've had. So, all right. That's what you, that's what we got for today. We'll see what happens. We'll be back next week. We'll recap this, uh, this opener and see what kind of team they're working with and, uh, you know, pinpoint all the areas we were right and wrong about uh, <laughs> our thoughts on this team because I'm sure we got it all figured out. So, all right. Thanks for listening. Uh, I am Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Uh, lots of great coverage of the Colts on The Athletic. Um, we've got, I thought, a good story by Bob Kravitz on quarterbacks who have previously had career arcs like Carson Wentz hopes to have, which is up, then down, then up again. <laughs> and I think there were more of them than I recalled. And I actually think it was kind of informative that way. So that's something I, I would uh, suggest you check out. I'm also working on a piece on like, what is the blueprint for this season? How do the Colts do this? I have some thoughts on that. I think it's a pretty clear blueprint for how they get to where they want to go. And well, we'll see if I can make sense out of that. So that's the plan. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, 50% off to The Athletic right now. If you are not a subscriber, that ends soon here uh, coming out of the one week one weekend so take advantage of that if you are not a subscriber and if you are we thank you and appreciate your business i'm stephen holder with zach Kiefer, and this is one percent better